This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. We have still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Build Our Future podcast. I'm your host, Liz Knezovich, and this is a special episode where we put your regular host, Raul Faria, into the hot seat. Hello, Raul. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Liz. (laughs) Uh, Very interesting being on the other side of the chair today, but I'm sure we're going to have a fun conversation. So let's start off this episode from the very beginning. If you can, take us back to your journey starting out in the construction field. What drew you to construction? So for me, it was uh, very interesting. I'm one of the fortunate ones, I'd like to say, that I kind of got into construction by chance. I studied at the University of Waterloo Civil Engineering, and you know they've got an amazing program there, especially with their co-op work programs, where I did six full-month work terms throughout my degree. And with that, I was able to work with municipalities, work with a consultant, work with the province. And also work in in construction for a big builder, uh, Bird Construction. That's when I really kind of realized that, wow, you know what? I'm I'm really interested in this nice dynamic of being in the office, being on site, dealing with people. I love talking and engaging in conversation. So I found, you know, that side of it really, really well. But I'm also more of a research analytical person. So for me, it was a nice hybrid between the two. And and I just kind of really like seeing these 2D drawings coming up physically and actually seeing it being built and, and everything that went into it. A lot of planning involved, which I love doing. And uh, yeah, and, that, and I just kind of stuck with it. I, I graduated, worked with a subcontractor, a geotech firm. And then uh, and then I just said, you know what, I want to do uh, more construction, like GC, construction management kind of work. And I worked with a small small company in, in Woodbridge, but phenomenal company, your contracting the principles there were, were pretty fantastic. I got to learn so much through that process. As much as I wanted to learn, they gave me. Now, being in the industry for 15 plus years, I can see what a luxury that was for me. A lot of times there are slower stepping stones, stepping blocks, but you know, I was able to really grow my career a little bit more. So that's how I got into it. And just like a lot of other entrepreneurs out there, there came a point in time where I thought I could do it better. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I, I decided to jump in and start my own construction firm. Seems like eons ago, but it's, yeah. it's only been 2013 since we started uh, One Oak Construction. stands for one of a kind. And I just wanted to do things a little bit differently, a little bit more collaboratively with clients and subcontractors, suppliers. So yeah, that was the initial journey yeah. into construction. Most of my experience has always been on the commercial side with my own business. We started doing residential as well. And in the last couple of years, we've kind of pivoted more into the commercial space because we just gained that much more traction on that mm-hmm. side. So what does one Construction do? If you look at it from, from, from an outsider's perspective, we're a construction company, right? I mean, there's lots of them around, but what one Construction essentially is, is we're a firm that prides ourselves not just on quality, you know, budget, that kind of stuff, but 
we really value collaboration and value engineering with our clients. You know, we're, we're not a massive company, you know, we're a smaller company. And what we find is there's always a bit of a disconnect between what clients want, what the design shows, what the budgets are, the timelines are. And that's where we kind of step in with the, with our collective experience in like value engineering a project and provide some of these, you know, value added services in terms of finding lower costing products, but still give off the same aesthetic feel and durability as well. Cause they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So really that's kind of what we do in a commercial sense. Our main source of, of revenue, you can say is we, we mainly build restaurants, be it quick serve restaurants or sit down restaurants. We do do some retail spaces and office spaces as well, but predominantly we're in the restaurant field and we really enjoy that field. We've worked on quite a few different projects from renovations to facility management for restaurants, which, which can be challenging just because of the hours of work and the cleanliness involved to brand new fit outs and renovations of restaurants too. So we've been pretty lucky, pretty blessed to get some amazing clients on board over these last seven years. Now, for any listener out there who's also on the entrepreneurial journey, can you take us back to that first year and and just kind of paint a picture of what that was like starting your own business? I mean, I think for everyone, it's a, it's a little bit different. For me, I think I touched on it earlier. I, I, I love planning. I love to have stuff in place kind of thing. I had been working on the plan for about a year to kind of start up. And, you know, I lived on off of my savings for the first few years. Mm. Took a little while. There were some low points, you know, mm. working full time, you know, you get to talk to subtrades, suppliers, people all the time. And I, I, I remember sitting in my condo downtown and looking at my phone and there were no calls for like three days, <laughs> yeah. uh, work calls yeah. anyway. So that was a little struggle, you know, just when that vision and reality kind of meet up initially, you know, there's always that challenge of buy-in. Who are mm-hmm. you? We know who you are, but what has your company done? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're looking at a commercial perspective, it, it's very different than residential. You know, commercial, you as an individual, as as the figurehead of the mm-hmm. company could have all the experience in the world. But when when you start dealing with the larger companies, larger corporations, you know, it's all about what has your company done. It felt, I should say, like a chicken and egg situation. What comes mm-hmm. first? What comes first? But, you know, eventually mm-hmm. somebody gives you a chance and you, you kind of show what you can do. And you just kind of build off of that. And, you know, the best thing I could say, everyone knows about the hard work and, and that. And, but I would probably say patience, mm-hmm. patience key, and just belief in what you're doing because there are going to be ups and downs. Seven years in, there's still ups and downs. Just oh, yeah. the ups and downs are on a different level because <laughs> yeah. we've grown to a certain point, right? So, but initially, it's just don't lose sight of what that mm-hmm. vision is. Don't lose sight of what it is that, you know, you're bringing to the table. Not every venture succeeds, obviously, but believe in yourself, keep working at it, be patient, you know, and, yeah. and try to figure out how you stand apart from the competition, right? That's yeah. that's probably the biggest key I could tell anybody who's looking to start their own journey as being an entrepreneur. And from my perspective, having just met you, I remember the level of disappointment you were feeling at the time because you had anticipated starting your own business. You would be able to leverage a lot more contacts and you would be able to jump right into what oh, you're yeah. my, my business <laughs> plan was, was way off. Let me put it way that off. way. It was way, way off. off. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when, you, when you started out on your own and realized that you needed to have a lot more experience as a company, that was like a bigger blow. And, and you pivoted along the way. I remember how many times you sat down and re-strategized and just 
kept pivoting to get to the first two, three years. Those first two, three years were really crucial, I would say, for the company. Yeah, I mean, everyone says, you know, the first three years, the first five years kind of thing. They, they always say that. And, and, you know, there is a certain truth to that, right? Not, I mean, we all look at companies or artists, right? It's like, oh, they just shot up to fame right away. <laughs> But really, people don't know the little dive bars that they played in for 10 years yeah. before that, right? It's, it's, just, it's no different for construction firms, tech mm-hmm. firms, whatever the case might be. You look at Facebook, you look at Google, they all started in the university dorm for years mm-hmm. doing that coding. Now mm-hmm. everyone thinks, oh my God, it was so easy for them, but they did have to put in that time. They did have to get that buy-in. You know, There are some lightning strike ideas that that just happen, you know, right time, right place, right idea. They do happen, but that's not the norm. And watching this business grow over the last seven years, it's also a matter of, do you want to shoot to fame right away? Because every project teaches you something new about the client that we didn't know before, something new about our capabilities, how to make it more efficient. And I think every single experience is a building block into where where we are essentially today and ongoingly. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that so much on the clients uh, as as I would say as you're on that journey, you start realizing what your value add mm. proposition is to your clients and how mm. to and you have to take that and kind of position that properly, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the minute you you always try to compete on price. I mean, any entrepreneur will tell you you compete on price that's not a path for growth, right? That's a path just to make ends meet, shall we say. So so the journey for me that I was on is I, I realized through the process, I mean, I always had an idea of what my value was, shall we say, of what mm-hmm. my value add was. What going through the process and working through the clients, both on the residential and commercial side, I would say I was able to more hone in on on what it is that comes naturally to me and mm-hmm. how I can not just let's go back to Cuba Gooding Jr. from uh, what's that <laughs> Jerry Maguire, right? What did he say? It's help me help you, right? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's like you start figuring out how do you help yourself, but mm-hmm. in the same token, you're also helping your clients through that process. And it goes back. I mean, I had an episode with Paul Dossett and his concept of prosperity over profit really mm-hmm. right. It's the concept and the idea that everyone wins, right? Yeah. Now, the win for my clients is a measure that's different than there's a win for me mm. or a win for my subcontractors, right? But that concept of prosperity, I love. And I think that's how I started repositioning myself. And I would probably say year four, year five, most likely. It took a long, a long time for me to figure out how do I set up that value system? How do I showcase that value system? It, t- it took a while, of course. What would you say your value system is? I mean, everyone's got a ton of value systems, right? But for me, it's I strongly believe on ethics and morals. Now, I know that's pretty subjective. But generally speaking, I mean, not to get religious and stuff, but you know, like the simple things, right? Treat somebody else like you would like yourself mm-hmm. treated. I mean, that fundamentally is the same, is... Mm-hmm. is the golden rule, right? It's, it's the golden rule, right? I think for me, being a younger guy in this industry of a different skin color too, uh, of course, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm my background, I'm from India. You know, I had, let's not a chip on my shoulder, but maybe a slight insecurity when I first started out, having to prove myself differently. And I think for me, some of the realizations of 
when to be firm, mm -hmm. when to be not firm, when to make, you know, what are the right assumptions to make, that kind yeah. of stuff. It's, it's been a challenge, right? And, but I think fundamentally at the end of the day, I firmly believe there's a right and a wrong way to live your life, right? And mm -hmm. the right way for me is just treating people with respect, treating people with consideration, just like I would like to be treated. It's, it's as simple as, you yeah. know, if I price to a client, I would just like to know, hey, how did I stand? As an mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. much like my subcontractors would like that from me. Are we always successful in doing that? No, but we try to, right? We mm -hmm. try to keep everybody in the loop as much as we can. I think at the end of the day, that's something I would say is really my top, top thing. And, you know, I've walked away from clients that I've just not jived with on a mental level. Maybe that's the right word. If I just feel slightly off about whatever or, I've gotten to the point where I, I I'd rather walk away than than get upset through the process. Yeah. And I think what you just said touches on this whole concept of collaboration and communicating it to the best ability, whether it's with clients, vendors, subcontractors. How does collaboration play a role in your daily processes? Oh, collaboration is everything. When I started here in Ontario, there's something called the CCDC two document and it's probably the most predominantly used contract in, in the commercial space, which is it's a stipulated price contract. It's a hard price. And usually when it's like that, it, you know, the collaborations aren't necessarily there. It's you price as per the drawing, something is not on the drawings, change order. So everything is, is official, official, official kind of mm -hmm. thing. For me, it's, I guess you could say, more of a personal, professional kind of way of dealing with things talking to my sub sub trades i mean i'm, I'm actually friends with quite a few of my sub trades now too because yeah. they've been with me through the years they've got my back when i need help you know i hope to think that you know they know that i've got their back when that when they're in a pinch or, or something's off and and same with some of my clients right so i mean collaboration it works it has to work from all sides right yeah. I don't like just doing it as per and moving on my mind gets challenged if you know i'm trying to think of different ways to comment comes up again, value engineering, right? Mm -hmm. When you try to value engineer with a client because their budget is a little tight, how do you kind of bring that, that cost down but still give them that durability, that long-term feel for them? You know, are there different products out there will still give them the same feel? And that's, that's where we come in and work with the clients, work with the interior designers and architects to try and figure out the best, the best way forward, right? And I know you have a talk coming up on value engineering with the Canada Building Show. So do you want to touch up on this concept of value engineering? What is it? Is this just a buzzword? What does it yeah, actually mean? I mean, it is, I mean, it is a buzzword. Of course it is. I mean, you think value engineering kind of thing. But I am uh, giving, uh, giving a little talk on that. I believe it's December 12th. But the concept of value engineering, really, it's about the team. And by the team, I'm talking about right from the top from the owners, all the way down to your supplier, subcontractor. It's the whole team involved. And there's a misconception out there that, you know, value engineering can happen at any time. But there, there are times throughout a project where the positive impacts of value engineering start being negative because it could be construction schedule. It could be timelines to get that stuff. And now the client's got to pay extra rent. The drawings might have to get changed. Do we have to resubmit mm -hmm. for permits? So, I just wanted to have a, a little bit more of a talk on that and share with what 
value that actually holds it, and especially in today's mm-hmm. marketplace, because forget the pandemic that's going on. You know, everyone's budgets are crunched, right? Mm-hmm. Be it with people have got leases or mortgage or you know commercial loans and budgets to maintain, right? So how do you circumvent that? How do you make it so? Every side prospers. We get back to that prosperity word again that I said. Mm -hmm. But everybody wins and everybody Mm -hmm. feels like they've won, right? And value engineering is the right way, but it does involve, you know, a few key fundamentals, right? Transparency is number one. I'm talking about from all sides. I'm talking about the clients got to be transparent about their budget and their timelines. The architect and interior designers and and consultants have got to be transparent about, you know, what the actual code requirements sign, what they're budgeting, what they've hired to do. And mm-hmm. the contractor as well has got to be really honest with the budgets involved, mm-hmm. with the overall structure of the contract, you know, how they're making money, where they're making money, mm-hmm. what to be the cost savings potentially, you know, none of the side deals with contractors and stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know, so it does involve transparency and trust fundamentally. Mm-hmm. There are a few construction processes now that are gaining steam in the industry that I'm really interested in and seeing how it's going called mm-hmm. IPD integrated project delivery where the contractors involved right from start to finish from material procurement mm. to the end but the rewards and risks are shared how how yeah. awesome is that yeah. right like all parties win or hopefully I mean knock on wood <laughs> like these new concepts coming out are really putting an emphasis on on an entire construction team no longer is it that there's a the owner there, the designer there, and all of them are kind of not fighting with each other, but mm-hmm. at loggerheads, right? I mean, we're, I think, I feel like we're trending in a different direction where everybody wins, you know what I mean? In, in whichever way they quantify a win. Yeah, that's the picture that you're you're drawing up for us right now is this concept of a team, not no longer clients dealing with architects, dealing with contractors, and then everyone trying to get what they want. It's rather something that's cohesive. Everyone's putting in the effort to make this place into whatever it needs to be for the client. It, there's something really wonderful about that. So let's switch gears for a moment. Let's let's talk about the podcast. Let's talk about oh, yeah, let's future. Do it. Let's do it. I'm, I, you know what? I'm liking this episode because, uh, as you know, um, I love talking. And I think one of the first things you told me when, when I brought the idea up of this podcast last year was, I was like, Raul, you know the idea of a podcast is your guest has to talk more than you, yeah. right? Uh, so it, it, it's, been pretty, it's been pretty interesting, pretty fascinating, this, this whole podcast, right? It was a bit of a learning curve in the beginning. I know you had to put on your listening hat a little bit more. And I think it's really progressed in a very interesting way. So tell us a little bit about why you got Build Our Future started. How did it all come about? Yeah, uh, Build Our Future. Um, I mean, I've always been interested in concepts and growth and, and expanding my mind just in general, right? And I've tackled a bunch of technology stuff, trying to incorporate that in, in the business of one oak on a day-to-day basis. And what was it last year, probably July, August, I've been listening to podcasts for a while, but I found that I wasn't necessarily resonating with a lot of them. People weren't necessarily talking about concepts all the time. They were, but then it got hard to like track down a mm-hmm. show that I could follow on a consistent basis, right? I think I mentioned earlier, not I think, I know I mentioned earlier that I like to plan. So that's when the first idea started from. And then, you know, I, I did my research on the mics and this, like yeah. recording systems and, you know, how do I record it? You know, what if there are people from across the world? And I wanted to actually create a platform where I'm talking to everybody in that mm-hmm. construction space, right? 
architects, interior designers, subcontractors, other contractors as well, just forward thinkers for growth. And growth can be such a vast thing, right? And, you know, with some of the themes that we've talked about here, you know, just to name a few, like Rob Ellis, who's just one of the most fascinating conversations I had with Mm -hmm. him, you know, and what he's doing in changing, as he puts it, the young leaders uh, of our world today Mm -hmm. and, and trying to push them into construction and the benefits of it. Just, you know, that's all growth, right? That's all growth. It could be sustainability. It could be technology. It could be diversity in the workforce, right? I think it's just fascinating where we're going. And I've been I've been loving every every episode. I, I'm learning so much more. And, and, you know, initially it was, not initially, even now, every time I talk to somebody, I'm just like, this is phenomenal. What am I doing with my life? But it's, but, but yeah. I love it because I'm, I'm learning so much more about the so many possibilities that are actually out there for our industry, right? As a whole. And that's why I kind of started it and been connecting with some really, really talented and phenomenal people that just, they had a seed of an idea at some point and how they push with it, how they find those gaps in the markets. It's been motivating. It's been inspiring to, to kind of push for, for something more, to make things better the way we do things. Stress is a huge thing in every walk of life, every industry, right? But some of the concepts and stuff, I could see tangible benefits you know, that you can't quantify in terms of reducing stress. I had another gentleman, Leroy Beebe from Level, what they're doing in giving some of their sales a revenue to raise a mental health awareness for everyone in the construction sector and stuff. I, I think that's just admirable and phenomenal that people are doing those things because it is something that has an effect and it could be from anybody. It could be me as, a, as, as an Indian man trying to push in Canada, even though maybe times are changing. It could be a woman breaking through in the construction field and trying to break all those preconceived notions of mm. what it is to be a woman in the construction industry. Mm. You know what I mean? I just find it unbelievable what people are doing. And you know that's been pretty fantastic, I think. Yeah, I remember when I was running our residential department and just driving from job site to job site and dealing with continuous expectations. And I remember having this massive, almost like a ball in my stomach, just kind of tuning into that and figuring out, holy cow, that's anxiety, that's extreme stress. So what are your thoughts on mental wellness as it relates to the construction industry? I always knew I would get stressed out, I get irritable. Going through the pandemic and the shutdowns, while it was extremely tough on the business because we were shut down for about five and a half, six months. Um, you know, it, it really got me to realize what having a stable, I don't even, I, I, maybe not stable, but just having a, a clear mind, a peaceful mind on a day-to-day basis means, you know, just realizing that I was just a happier person and not... Mm-hmm not trying to start tomorrow and finish yesterday, you know, and, and put that stress on myself, right? It's, it's all, it still is a challenge now that I'm getting back into the workflow and we're starting to get busier now. But it, it's been challenging. It's been challenging, uh, of course, trying to deal with the ups and downs and, you know, reporting for bonding and reporting for this and then seeing the financials. And, you know, as we start out, we, you know, there are always losses, you know, 
yeah. what do you pay salary? You know, you do hires and do they work out? Do they not work out? For whatever the reason might be, and you just sometimes it feels like you just see money going out, and not enough yeah. coming in, and you know, clients not happy on the job site. Sometimes it feels like an avalanche, right? But yeah. I've been trying to take a step back and. While my mind can't stay calm for more than five to seven minutes at a time, you know, that those five to 10 minutes really help me out in the day. I've always got so many things going on in my mind. So just trying to shut that off even for five minutes, I find really helps me. I know people on site go through different challenges mm-hmm. as well, you know, physical detail-oriented challenges that I don't necessarily go through. So, mm. you know, I think it's really important to find that comfort space, find that that thing, that other thing you can escape from your yeah. day-to-day life where you can, you can get recharged. Absolutely. And transitioning it back to the show, you've done 25 episodes now, which is... Oh, this is the list will be the <laughs> This is the 25th next. episode. And you've had dozens of guests come on and share in-depth knowledge about so many concepts. What are some of the main themes you would say are emerging from the show at this point? I mean, technology is the easy one. Yeah. Just workflow platforms, that sort of stuff. It's It's amazing, some of the stuff that's... I should even not even just workflow, workforce, you know, Bridget, yeah. like that, like that's another amazing one. Mm. I would say the push for sustainability. Mm. As you know, Liz, we when we first started, we we were like, let's try to figure out when in the next 10 to 20 years to build our yeah. our own fully sustainable house. And uh, you know, again, talking to Paul Dossett, while that might not be there yet, but that's the goal, right? That to, yeah. to be net zero carbon. But you know, just just talking to the different changes, the different styles of sustainability. You know, we always thought that sustainability was energy, 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 but maybe not, right? Just thinking about different design styles, and you know, talking to Linda Kafka about how we build our houses that we live in. Are we looking after not just you know our family members who might have some difficulty moving around, but how do they? What about yourself in the next mm-hmm. 10, 15 years? Who knows what's going to happen? Are you going to be able to live there? Are you not? Talking to professors from my alma mm-hmm. mater, you know, and being actually interested in their research stuff because now I can see actual applications and them, mm-hmm. you know, all of my guests being so generous with their times. Mm-hmm. I think the one that really blew me away that I didn't even know was possible was a gentleman from India, Atejas yes. Sandal, who... Yeah, uh, upcycled or recycled air pollution to make tile out of, <laughs> out of pollution, like carbon tile. Like it's phenomenal what people are doing. I mean, I could go on and on, but you know, te- technology, sustainability, yeah. careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are different paths in construction. Like I said, you could be on site. You could be a site super. Mm. You be an estimator. You can be a project manager. You can be a business owner. Yep. You can be an architect. You can be an engineer. You know, there there's so many different aspects of of it, and I'm just finding it awesome. It's really a remarkable time for construction right now. With this incredible rise in technology, there's also a hire and collaboration happening between companies. What would you say technology has done for construction at this point and going forward? It's just like anything else, right? Construction, for whatever reason, has always been slow to adapt, right? But when used properly, and I'm talking about any technology, it could be social media, these workflow platforms, whatever the case might be, when used properly, they can be a really value-added service to what it is. Yes, there's a cost to doing business, but gone are the days that people should still be using Excel. You know, there are other softwares out there. You just have to kind of find 
the one that suits you and your and your business, right? I mean, there's 3D modeling for prefabrication, and you know that comes into a play for you know modular construction, but also adaptive reuse in that 10, 15 years or 20, 25 years down the line, if you know you want to use one of that piece of material somewhere else. Now you've got actually a 3D modeling down to the 1 16th inch measurement and you can be like, does it work somewhere else? It's going to take time, right? Mm -hmm. To get fully adopted, you know, a lot of these technologies, but you know, there are a lot of companies out there that are really pushing with them, right? Like Mm -hmm. you you talk about the LS Dons and the PCLs and Chandos constructions of the world. I've only named a few, but there's so many of them working on IPDs, modular construction, you know, just different styles of construction where it's just going to help us out, right? And the way we build and technology, everyone thinks technology can is mainly for, you know, app or a cloud-based system, but there are technologies mm-hmm. out there where you have hard hats that can give lights and, you know, sensors and that kind of stuff. There's so many other aspects where technology can be used for, you know, can it measure heart rate? Can it not? Like, you know, mm-hmm. are people getting tired? Are people not getting tired? You know, people work 14, 18 hour days, right? It's, mm-hmm. I mean, here in Ontario, look, our, you know, by quote unquote, the law, you know, there's no maximum number of hours an employee has to work in a day. But can you imagine working 16 hours a day nonstop? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, as entrepreneurs, we kind of choose to do that. We feel like we don't have a choice, but we choose to do that. But sometimes, you know, the team members on site, the carpenters or these guys, sometimes they don't have a choice because of deadlines, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, now they got to drive home being that exhausted and wake up the next. I mean, there's technologies that can provide some of those metrics. You know, like I said, there's so many different things. And I think it's just going to gain more and more steam as the newer generation comes up and they're much more you know, there's much more of an ease for them using technology and how to incorporate that into their daily lives, personally and professionally, right? Yeah. So I, I think with time, you'll, it'll just become the norm, right? That yeah. everyone's going to be using it. And even when you had Professor Carl Haas come on, he actually spoke about this really cool concept where they've taken masonry workers and put sensors on them to monitor their movements. And you've been listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was thinking about that the other day when I was lifting something really heavy and thinking about trades that are ongoing physical labor every single day. And how cool would it be if we had a measurement to teach us how to properly move on an ongoing basis and what kind of impacts would we have on our health? with with such a technology so it's really cool to see it's what's fascinating like it's i mean you know not to sound too out there but but really when it comes to anything but really in this construction space it's whatever an individual's mind can imagine Mm. we can kind of strive towards that with the technology that we do have of today right the the capabilities of modeling like you said, the way we move, the way we're lifting and measure those stresses on your on your joints and your bodies and the forces acting on it. Just That's just one example, right? But you can probably list off a, a sheer number of other ones as well. So Rahul, we've touched up on a lot of interesting things that are happening in construction right now. 25 episodes into your podcast, is there any final thought in regards to where the show is going and what we can anticipate from Build Our Future? I can honestly say there's no final thought. Um, <laughs> what I've realized with talking to these awesome people is that the minute you close your mind off, the the possibilities end. So I'm going to keep my mind open. I'm mm-hmm. I'm hoping to continue continue moving on and talk to people, share what this show is about, share what my guests are are doing. That's fascinating. 
you know, I hope other people are interested in it and reach out to them because if they find it interesting, then, you know, then all the better, right? And then it works for them. So, you know, the possibilities are really endless, right? As to where it can go, how it can go and, and, you know, what, what, what's possible for the future. So, you know, I, I'm just, like I said, I'm just continuously loving talking to people and talking about all these different concepts that are now, it's funny on my website and stuff. I've got this little thing, this blurb about the podcast and it says like change is coming, change in the way we build. And, and actually this last week we had uh, Ian McFadden from Hummingbird Hill Homes and, you know, his business partner, Aaron, actually posted on. He's like, change is not coming. Change is here. And actually, <laughs> and actually he's right. You know, change is actually here. You know, uh, it's just bringing it to the masses, right? And on adapting thought, mm-hmm. you know, on, on putting this mm-hmm. thought to their use, right? Because other people have had the thought, the idea, and developed systems and processes, be it technology or operationally speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's up to us to say, hey, is that is that light bulb now in my head that I could use mm-hmm. that for myself? Right. So it's like I, I'm 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 loving it and you know, I hope to keep going for a long time. You know, it uh helps me helps me for me as well, just learning and growing continuously, um, and seeing what the possibilities are. Well, Rahul, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. And thank you for letting me have the, the big chair here with all the questions. Yeah, it's interesting. It was nice talking for him. <laughs> so where can our listener find you? Well, all the usual places, uh, you know, LinkedIn is the, is probably the easiest one. But, uh, you know, you can check out the website, uh, com. That's R-A-H-U-L-F-A-R-I-A. We've got a few other different things going on on there, including the podcast. It is going to be completely redone in the near future. Yeah, those are probably the two best places. Uh, you can send me an email that uh, all the links are up up on the website as well. And, you know, stay tuned. We've got some fun stuff coming up. Uh, there's a new podcast coming up as well that I'm very excited to launch, all talking about interior designers and the concepts and, you know, going through this process and now working with all these interior designers and stuff. I, I'm finding that some of the challenges that they face are pretty similar to mine. And, you know, I just want to share some of what they've been doing in this space within Canada, you know, and, and specifically in Canada, because there's so many awesome designs and different styles out there in this, uh, in this country, right? So not to ramble on, but yeah, there's, there's a lot more coming up and it's pretty fantastic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping on board and talking some more uh, with other people and different concepts uh, regarding that and, and, and this on the Build Our Future podcast. Great. And to our listener, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week on Build Our Future. Thank you. Thank you, Liz, for sharing this episode. It's, uh, it's been fantastic to be on this side, you know, responding to questions and, and just letting our listeners know, you know, more about me and stuff. And, you know, you can jump on our website and, uh, you know, there's a little mailing list. So you can get uh, you can get a little email blast every week, giving some highlights of the episode uh, that's being launched and, you know, what's coming up next week and what we've done in the past as well. So definitely jump on jump on board over there. You know, just stay tuned for next week as well. We've got a, a very interesting episode. You know, I've got uh, Ashley from Harbor who's going to be coming. It's interesting. We just spoke about all of these, you know, tech stuff, you know, and, and they're really doing something so simple. But it's, 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 you know, optimizing these reporting procedures that we have, you know, between the site and the office. And 
but they're doing it through SMS, <laughs> you know? So your site guys, they don't have to learn apps. You know, they do have an app, but you know, we're just going to be diving a little bit more into that next week. So, so stay tuned and we've got a, a bunch more few fun episodes coming up in the future.